Hello and welcome to Meet the CEO, a series of short, sharp podcasts that explore exactly how CEOs really think. My name's Matt Crabtree, I'm the founder of Positive Momentum, and in each episode of this podcast series, we'll be asking CEOs of real businesses to share with us why on earth they wanted to become a CEO in the first place. What do they do when no one's watching? What are they finding really tough? And what are the best lessons they've learned from others? So whether you're already a CEO, might want to be one one day, or just have to deal with CEOs from time to time, we promise to get you the no-nonsense lowdown on exactly what it takes to make happen, well, whatever you need to make happen. For this episode, I'm delighted to introduce one of my Positive Momentum colleagues, Mr. Simon Cooper, who, as you are about to discover, is a very fine host indeed. This is Meet the CEO. My guest today is Mike Barnard, uh, CEO of Acacium Group, uh, a global company whose vision of creating life-changing outcomes for people has led them to offer some of the most innovative and successful range of healthcare services, uh, enhancing social care and life sciences, such as delivering highly specialised 24-hour uh, home-based care services for complex patient needs to extend the NHS offer in the UK. Mike, welcome to Meet the CEO. Thank you, Simon. Good morning. Good morning. Brilliant. Well, as I mentioned, Mike, um, Acacian plays a critical role in supporting patients and healthcare professionals. But let me start actually by asking you the question I ask uh, all our guests. Um, why did you become a CEO? Uh, some uh, great questions. So I suppose there's a couple of things, isn't there? First of all, um, in some sense, it, it, it feels a natural evolution because it builds on experiences that I've had in my career around people leadership, developing strategy, um, driving performance, trying to, to build teams that I think can be effective. But of course, there's a sort of tipping point, isn't it? At some point, you make a decision to go um, team um, individual to team leader, team leader to function head, function head to divisional head. And I suppose specifically then, when I went from divisional head to CEO, the, the probably the probably as well as it being blatant opportunism, because of course the thing there has to be an opportunity. Um, it I suppose a couple of bits really. What one was a real sort of positive sense without sounding too grandiose of feeling confident and being ready to orchestrate all those elements without having the safety net of a corporate infrastructure behind me, whether that's, you know, a boss, in the, a CEO in the case of being Dujon MD. The, the second was probably, a, was more almost a, maybe this is connected, a frustration a bit that was you know, having been a divisional MD and maybe because of that confidence, uh, the all the paraphernalia that goes on with the corporate infrastructure becomes frustrating and something that, uh, without sounding arrogant, you, you feel inhibits rather than helps. And I suppose that's the tipping point, isn't it? When you feel you've both got the confidence and you feel the some of the um, the governance around you gets in the way. And, uh, and that, that was explicit the moment when I said, right, now's the time to go and be a CEO. And, and, you think, and so do you think, if I underneath that a bit you're obviously a divisional leader of very very large organizations occasion still big but i guess a different scale is that what you're saying yeah that's right yeah that's exactly right and, and it's not the scale 
I think people obsess about scale sometimes, don't they? And it's not really about scale in the CEO role. It's the uh, it's the accountability, I suppose, that is the that drives the the energy, the sense of responsibility, uh, the passion as well. And, and and it doesn't really matter whether it's, I mean, what we're about two thousand people in our organisation. Before that, yeah, that's right. I was looking after probably near twenty five thousand people, but. It, it's definitely a higher pressured role because there's nowhere else to turn. It's, you know, ultimately the buck stops, stops with me. Yeah. Brilliant. Great. Well, I mean, that accountability is such an interesting idea, I think, for all CEOs. It's, it's definitely a draw to it. But, but there's probably some things, I guess, during the day that, that also you have, to, you have your own agenda about. Um, yeah. What, so, so the question we often ask people is what's, yeah, what are the, what's the part of your day that, you'll preserve at all costs. You know, what's that yeah. part of your day? Yes, yeah, so it's re- really interesting because I actually think, I think, Simon, it's changed a bit um, with the COVID situation because I used to be, <clears throat> I used to have this sort of um, absolute structure that said pretty much wherever I went, or certainly within the UK, I'd get back in the evening. So, so I'd end up having breakfast with someone at home. And that was quite an important sort of connecting point for me. And I, I think it was helpful for, for the family. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I think it was. But it, for me, it was quite important as a as a sort of anchoring myself. Um, now, obviously, that's that's all changed because I'm at home more than more often than before. So I think what the brilliant thing is that you can you can make your day. More, bits of your day more sacrosanct on a more ad hoc basis because there's a recognition that work happens throughout the day and, and often into the evening. So, you know, genuinely, I can, I can, I think we're all collectively more confident about protecting time, whether that's, you know, doing some thinking or taking the kids to the school uh, or picking them up or, I don't know, going to do some exercise. And, and as a result, um, and I think that's an incredibly healthy thing, actually. Yeah, yeah. For people, yeah. for people at work generally, and certainly in my position, where my challenge, Simon, is always my day just gets full, and the problem is the stuff that I should, in theory, uniquely do because it's my job and supposedly one I'm good at, gets squashed into you know seven seven to eight p.m. when I'm probably not my most effective. So carving out specific points of the day to to be effective, uniquely effective, is incredibly important. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've almost, yeah, you've almost got a bit more flexibility, I suppose, in the current environment than, than Definitely. had before. Yeah. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and you talk about that pressure, um, you know, that, that comes with the role. You know, people want you, want your time. Um, but actually, if you just sort of think over the, the sort of the the period you've been doing this role and, and any yeah. those leadership role, what what are the most challenging sort of situation event that you've really had to encounter so far and, and I guess you know the classic question useful for our listeners is um, what did you take away from it what was the learning yeah I mean uh, inevitably I suppose it would be COVID and 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 I'd say COVID wave one so so picture the scene um on March if you if you recall March the 16th 2020 at least here in the UK uh, Boris Johnson announced that we were going into lockdown the following week um that that was the day that I was pre- presenting a final presentation to sell our business 
to a new set of shareholders. Yeah. Uh, having said to them that you know, we're a healthcare, business, a healthcare and life science business, broadly, we're, we are resilient to the normal trading impacts of COVID. Um, so pleasingly sold the business, but very soon afterwards, if you recall in the UK, basically elective care stopped. So all the, all the discretionary healthcare beyond looking after people with COVID just came to a grinding halt. And uh, unsurprisingly, that put a hole in into some of our business. Yeah. Um, so having said that we were broadly COVID resilience, we had a very, very poor three to six months. And I say that, you know, we're recognising that for others, COVID decimated their businesses, but but I'd been put in, I'd act, actively sold the business to new shareholders on the basis that we had a degree of resilience. Um, now, of course, so, so, so that was challenging, challenging personally, because it was about credibility, challenging from a business perspective, because what are we going to do to fill the gap, right? Like I'm sure many people who are listening to this. And at the same time, of course, we've got to mobilize the, the, the business around a new way of working. And, and I suppose the thing I, I took away from that when I reflect on it, and we did, of course, you know, we found new ways to develop the business like, like many did, uh, new routes to growth is... Actually, and I maybe this is a bit oversimplistic. If you are authentic uh, in your ap- approach, recognizing this is a brand new challenge for everyone to face. If you're authentic in the way that you deal with it, if you communicate what you're trying to do clearly, if you solicit input into the solutions, broadly, broadly, people will give you credit and 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 work with you on that. Whether it's employees, clients, shareholders. Um, because of course, no one had a playbook. Yeah. No one had a playbook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's quite that, that is quite important because it comes back to how I think about the role that, that there's there's lots of business books written about being a CEO, but but that sort of a, a authenticity and keeping it simple is incredibly yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, that's that's a great guide for any any leader in any role, isn't it? You know, be authentic, communicate, mm. seek input. Right. I mean, those are, yeah. Three, exactly. All of those three rules in your career, then you you yeah. we have a good career. Okay. Yeah, I like that. So if you think about what you know that how you responded to that, um, one of the inputs I guess is the people in your career that you've learned from that influenced mm. your thinking. So so have you ever reflected? Who you, you know who are the people that have most influenced? I suppose the way you lead. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, Sam. When I think about this, I, I don't have a sort of standout moment or individual, but I definitely feel that I've learned from every single experience, whether it's, you know, I think about when I started at British Airways, the the, the three uh, leaders I worked with were completely different, but they all individually gave me something and materially sort of, affected how I thought about work through to most recently when you know, my last boss in my sort of last divisional MD roles um, definitely influenced me, even though fundamentally he and I knew that I probably wasn't going to stay for, for too long because I'd been there for, for seven years. Um, so it, so it, I suppose I, it's drawing from all of those experiences. Um, and if I was to sort of summarise two things that I think I've learned from that, I do really, really fundamentally believe in this idea of servant leadership because there is so much pressure to know the answer when you're a CEO, which of course 
you can't know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. By definition, you're that's that step removed from really what's going on in the business. And it's about facilita- facilitating others to help input to take a decision as to what the answer is. That that is hugely important to me, I think, and that's something I've learned. And, that, and then the the second thing, which is a something actually that I picked up when I was briefly, I was a management consultant for a while, and I had the pleasure of um, meeting a chap called Clayton Christian Christensen, who wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And whilst I think business books are generally um, too long <laughs> and a bit unnecessarily complex. The principle that there is an inherent risk as you get bigger as a business in that you stop innovating because you lose sight of customers, you lose sight of the, the market, and you start to believe your own, own, own hype, I think is a very, very powerful guide for CEOs so that you are looking around the corner and trying to think about what the disruption might be. Yeah, brilliant. No, I like that. And I think, I think this idea of servant leadership is is fascinating isn't it because i had a conversation yesterday with someone who you know when they, they think about their own career and they want to be the senior executive and are worried about how much authority they can have you know, <laughs> i'm not powerful enough and it's fascinating <laughs> right that's a stereotype that people carry isn't it brilliant that's right when you when you think therefore about that that if i take that idea forward and the innovation idea of course you're then reliant upon those around you of course you are um, yeah, and so your team, in particular, your executive team, often ends up being critical, doesn't it? So, so I guess, you know, what's the secret sauce? Do you think for building the, you know, the the best executive team around you? Yeah, it's. I mean, that's an that's an unfinished project, isn't it? And it, and it it's you're always trying to learn about that because it's so important, obviously, in in, in all roles, but particularly in that CEO role. I think. Um, one thing I definitely focus on now is because because you have an organizational structure and you have roles that are that fit within that organizational structure. Um, but but if I look at the difference between a good hire and a great hire, it's normally everything beyond the function of the functional role. It's um, their peripheral experience that's brought new client relationships or introduced new thinking around product or um, some of their background that is makes them think very differently about uh, problems or, or opportunities. And that's where the sort of the magic, I suppose, in terms of the diverse the divergent thinking creates more interesting conversations. And of course, um, it's not something necessarily we're taught to think about when you're hiring people. It's about, do they have the skills to do the job? Um, and of course, you want to get that broadly right. But then actually reflecting on, do they have a set of other attributes that can, in the context of the team, create new ways of thinking or new opportunities? I think that's a bit more about experience I actually think referencing is an undervalued skill. You know, we live in this world of LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't do recommendations on LinkedIn, not because I'm a sort of a Luddite, just because it devalues the conversation. It is a conversation. You have to talk to someone about it to try and get their context of the individual and what made them successful. And that, you know, whilst LinkedIn has been terrifically helpful in building out the network, um, the conversation with individuals about, 
about someone's experience or capability, it's never been more important, especially when you're looking for the bit beyond the functional role. Yeah, I, I, well, and we've, we've talked about this before, haven't we? This, this idea of hiring is so much about who the person is more than yeah. what they've done. Exactly, that's, exactly. That's the, and, and, and is it true that you know, now that you're you know, sort of in the CEO perspective, is it even more important in that executive team or, or less so? I don't know. I'd say more, more important because, because the, shadow, the shadow that I cast and the shadow that they cast is disproportionately important in trying to, to, get, um, to get the job done. I mean, I, I was talking to someone about it. When was this? Probably, oh, it was actually on Saturday. Someone I was, um, I was at the rugby with, we were chatting earlier. Um, and we were talking about an organisation I'd worked in where, where the sort of machismo of the monthly operating um, routines was sort of celebrated. And and I, I remember, and I, I was a relatively new joiner to this organisation. I remember thinking, this is absolutely bonkers because uh, whilst then people might go away thinking they've been had had a terrifically good conversation because they <laughs> thrashed people then into their lives. Of course, what it does is just stops people talking. Yeah. You know, people that don't fess up and and if nothing else that, that you want that leadership team to create a shadow that encourages uh, people to articulate a view or to articulate an issue potentially or and and of course to to collaborate and and therefore the the bit beyond the functional role is even more important i think in the in the executive yeah. Yeah. that makes sense brilliant thank you well just a couple of last questions to finish off and a bit more forward looking actually because this has been quite i suppose quite reflective hasn't it so far very yeah. insightful. Uh, the first thing actually is is if you think about either yourself and or the organization you, you currently run what's on the horizon what are the what are the big changes that uh, that sort of take a bit of time for you to think about at the moment yeah in, in, interesting if i if i think about um so so, so we in very simple terms we, we operate in the life science, the healthcare and the social care sectors, the social more at the um, less in the domiciliary care sector um, element of social care and more at the social worker side. Um, and we do a mixture of recruitment and managed services. Um, I suppose that the, the, the two areas of focus for us in terms of worrying about the future, one of it is environmental. And of course, it has to be about the role of technology. Yeah. Because um, if I'm not worried about the disruptive effects of, of technology and and us sort of trying to take hold of that disruption positively to re-engineer the business, well then who is? Because it's not something you should be delegating to the CIO. It's it's yeah. so fundamental in terms of the business model. So that that's that's hugely important. Um, and 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 I worry about that in the context of you know. Could the world of doctors be Uberized? I think probably not, but potentially. You know, there are lots of people who say that wouldn't happen in, happen in taxis. Yeah. Um, but equally, you think about how can we use technology in a more sophisticated way to to drive the preventative healthcare agenda in the UK? You know, diabetes a crisis in the UK. Can we do more with technology to try and change lifestyles? I'm thinking of type two diabetes, and also in the way we run clinical trials. So for me, that's a that's got to be a big, a big issue. And then more, if I think more about our internal capability and the how we control our own agenda, we are an increasingly global business. And and that comes with a whole set of complexity. Yeah. You know, who we who we recruit, 
career paths, how do we govern, how do we manage risk, how do we, you know, I have a trading meeting at, at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. Well, that doesn't work now for most of a lot of our organization because you might work for the UK or Europe, but still it doesn't work for the Far East or, or and, and the US. So so those are just sort of examples. That that is a huge change for us that, that I'm certainly worried about and thinking through how do we build a resilience to deal with um, because it has to be the right answers to, to globalize. Brilliant. Well, look, we're just running out of time, so so let's finish with a quick fire, three uh, simple uh, answers, which is aspiring CEO. You know, I'm I'm getting to the head of my function. I think it's on my agenda. You know, this is where I'm going. What what's the three fast mic bits of insight that say? Yeah, this is what you need to think about, Simon. So I think the first one for me would be. Um, it's more important to be ready than to be soon. Um, and, and with that in mind, people should, my lateral career move during my career have been some of the most powerful learning experiences I've, I've had. So it's not about getting to the top of the tree as quickly as possible. It's about being ready to be effective. And, and so that's, that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, always find someone that you can talk to about your role as a CEO outside of work. I have a coach, but I just think it's a lonely place, right? And you and you, you you need to be able to talk to people about that because you'll learn from them, uh, as well as it being sort of therapy and catharsis. Um, and then and then the third thing, which is I'm sort of passionate about, is like I had this sort of focus this thing on depth, what I call depth charging. Um, you know, without coming across as cynical, the the challenges as a CEO is that either people present data that they think you want to uh, to hear or KPIs don't tell the whole story. So somehow marrying up the, the KPI with what it feels like on the ground is a really, really important part of sort of building insight as a CEO from my perspective. Brilliant. Brilliant. Depth charging. That's an idea I'm going to take away. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right. Yeah. What does it feel like on the ground? Right. And, and as, you, as you get more senior, it gets harder to feel that. Doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Fantastic. Mike, it has been an absolute privilege as ever to, to catch up with you um, and to get your insights today. Really, really powerful. Uh, so on behalf of all of us here, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, great to, uh, to speak with you and uh, I'm sure people will, uh, will really enjoy hearing from you. My pleasure, Sam. Well, that was enjoyable, wasn't it? Uh, Mike Barnard, uh, CEO of Acacium Group uh, and a truly inspiring uh, leader. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, What did he cover? I guess um, one of the things that really struck me, a phrase I'm gonna take away is depth charging. I don't remember that. This idea that that actually, yeah, we we look at the KPIs, we understand stuff, but actually what's the feeling on the ground? Um, and how do you get that? How do you spend time to drop down levels to understand things? So, as he said earlier in that conversation, you know, it's a fairly lonely place being a CEO and depth charging is definitely a, a really important strategy to, to help cope with that. I also loved his advice on this idea that servant leadership um, is a really important idea in being a CEO. This idea that a CEO is not the shouty loud person at the front of the ship but actually is the person really getting to understand things um, getting under the skin receiving input this idea do you remember he had those three things that he did of you know what got him through the pandemic was being authentic was communicating and seeking input 
And of course, ultimately, he makes the decision, but he understands that servant leadership is critical. And, and then his second idea that, you know, innovation is one of those things that, uh, that sits at the table for every CEO. If there's anyone in the business who should be looking around the corner to see what's happening next, it's the CEO in Mike's eyes. So brilliant, uh, really enjoyable. Thank you again to you, Mike. Um, thank you to yourself for listening. Um, I hope you really enjoyed that session. Um, I took plenty out of it. I'm sure you did too. Um, and you know what? If you enjoyed it, you should listen to more. These things are fabulous conversations. So go on, click subscribe now. Uh, and while you're at it, give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Um, so until next time, uh, best wishes to you. Um, get on with things, crack on. Look forward to welcoming you again to the next episode of Meet the CEO.